0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today, we continue our series Under Pressure with a message entitled, In His Steps. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 25 as we join Dr. Neufeld now.
1: Seeing Jesus cross, as a substitutionary atoning sacrifice. That's essential to the Christian faith, and here's what I mean. Jesus died on the cross so that the anger of the Father over the sin of people might be satisfied, and so that we might be forgiven and reconciled to God. Christ died for me. But if we should think that once we've said that, that we'd have exhausted the meaning and purpose of the cross Well, we'd be mistaken. Jesus did many things while suffering on the cross. Paul tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, he dealt a fatal blow to Satan. He made a public spectacle of his defeat and humiliated him. And so we know that Christ can raid Satan's kingdom at any time, take his captives from him and set them free. Now that's in itself a mouthful, but it still doesn't exhaust all the meaning and the purpose of the cross. See, Jesus also suffered on the cross to provide for us an example of forgiving our enemies, even our greatest enemies. See, forgiving enemies and reconciling those thought to be unreconcilable, well, that's also one of the things that were accomplished on the cross. And still, the meaning of the cross is not exhausted. Jesus also suffered providing us an example to follow in his steps. So what is that? you know how could the cross be an example for us to follow and isn't that a horrifying proposition i mean following jesus into the world of suffering and if that were so i mean who'd want to follow jesus to the cross well i hope to answer that today i'm reading 1 peter 2:21 to 25 for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps he committed no sin neither was deceit found in his mouth when he was reviled he did not revile in return, when he suffered he did not threaten, but continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins on his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls." We've been studying that very fascinating book of First Peter, it's a tract, written, to a suffering group of churches in the Roman province of Asia. And Peter's words to those churches were first, that they should not despair or think that they're in a horrible predicament. I mean, rather, they're in an enviable position, for they have an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Who has what you have? Instead of moaning and complaining, be overwhelmed at your favored status. Now, these believers, and by extension, those of us who believe today, We're elect exiles. We're on a journey to a place to which we truly belong. And furthermore, this is not a vain hope. It's not a matter of wishful thinking. This is a hope, which is a living hope, secured for us when Jesus rose from the dead. But elect exiles or pilgrims to the celestial city, well, we need to know how to conduct ourselves in the days of our exile as we wait for our inheritance. And how should these suffering Christians that Peter wrote to respond to those who sought to do them harm? Should they fight for their rights and demand a better deal from the predominant culture around them? I mean, should they look for ways to avenge themselves? Perhaps they should find ways to get even. I mean, after all, isn't God on their side? I mean, shouldn't they be able to prevail against their enemies? I mean, wouldn't that show the watching world whom God favors? Well, instead of thinking that way, Peter demands that his readers put away all malice along with other attitudes that are inconducive to the follower of Jesus. And then Peter gets specific. Elect exiles in a strange land are to be subject to the emperor as well as the local governors over the provinces in which they live. And furthermore, servants or bond servants and slaves are to be subject to their masters, even to the ones that are unjust. now in chapter 2, verses 21 to 25, Peter is going to give us a general rule. We're to follow Jesus into his sufferings. And as we examine this passage, please notice that we can divide it into three points. The first is that we're to follow Christ's example, which he laid down for us while he was suffering on the cross. And the second point is that we need to finally be done with any desire for the attractions of sin. And the final point is that we need to embrace our shepherd. So let's start with the first point. We need to follow Jesus' example of suffering which he gave us on the cross. That's found in verses 21 to 23, and that's the main point. It starts with a declarative statement, for to this you have been called. Now that language of calling, well, that's not unfamiliar to those of us who read 1 Peter. Chapter 2, verse 9, we were told we're called out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's a wonderful promise. Chapter 3, verse 9, we're told that we are called to bless those who do evil against us. that's a a more difficult calling, and then in chapter 5, verse 10, we're told that we're called to his eternal glory in Christ. (laughs) That sounds a lot better. There is before us an eternal glory, and we are called by God to receive it. Now, I bring that up here, that Peter repeatedly speaks of the calling of the believer, and by that, he means that we've been summoned by God. God initiates the calling, and when God initiates it, it always happens, And that's what troubles so many about this section, right at the center of this book. So let's look at the context. Under the government of a very dangerous Roman emperor, Peter counsels Christians to submit to that emperor. And then in regard to slaves, he demands they submit to their masters, even to those who are unjust. And if you haven't listened to my explanation of that, please go back and find that exposition. And here in the center of the Christian lifestyle, Peter wants all Christians to know, slave and free, that the lifestyle of the believer is a calling to imitate the sufferings of Jesus while he was on the cross. So let's follow Peter's line of thought. Let's jump forward to verse 22. While Jesus was suffering on the cross, says Peter, he committed no sin. Stop there. It's important. Let's talk about Jesus' sinlessness. Now, I think we must stop there because in a great many surveys that I've seen, among professing Christians, well, there is a belief that Jesus sometimes sinned. So why is that important? And what do we think about this matter? Well, let's consider what the Bible says. I'm going to start with a passage that doesn't prove his sinlessness, but that should start the discussion. Here I'm referring to Judas and his remorse after betraying Jesus. So I'm I'm reading Matthew 27, 3-4. It says, Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. Now, Judas was a complicated man. I mean, he stole out of the money that had been given to the ministry of Jesus. He complained when Mary poured expensive oil on Jesus' feet, and I have no doubt, he was deeply disappointed with Jesus on a number of occasions. He wanted something that Jesus was not prepared to give. Well, that's just really speculation. And yet, after he betrays Jesus, He knew that he was betraying an innocent man. And for our purposes, we need to ask, just how innocent was Jesus in all his dealings? And it's important to ask that, because as we know, we're living in a day when many of us, for some very good reasons, are disappointed with some very prominent leaders, both Christian and otherwise. Sexual misconduct, abuse of power, bad decisions, and immoral private life. And we've become accustomed to being disappointed by our heroes. But Judas, although he was very willing to sell Jesus to the chief priest, had to admit he saw no flaw in him, and that's quite a statement to make from a man who was his enemy. See, what else does the Bible say about Jesus? Well, John 8, we find Jesus saying something quite surprising. He says, I always do the things that are pleasing to God. Not sometimes, always. Then several verses later, in a dispute with his enemies, verse 46 records him saying, which one of you convicts me of sin? And of course, they don't answer because they can't name any infraction of God's law. See, the followers of Jesus who were in direct contact with Jesus thought the same. And Paul says so, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he says, Jesus knew no sin. Hebrews 4.15 calls Jesus one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 1 John 3 verse 5 says, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. See, we don't understand the cross until we understand that it's the story of the sinless one being treated as a sinner. So where's Peter going with this? Well, he says that while Jesus was suffering on the cross, even there, he committed no sin. And it takes some time to comprehend that. See, when people are under pressure, or when they're being abused, or when they're suffering terribly, we think it understandable that they might do something that's uncharacteristic or out of fashion and may lash out. But that's Peter's point. In Jesus' case, that wasn't the case. No doubt Jesus was tempted to sin, for here he saw the fury of his enemies, the fury of Satan, full up. It must have made him angry, and he refuses to channel that anger into sin. And says Peter, that's our example. When we're being abused and mistreated, we need to make up our minds we will not sin. Abused and mistreated can't ever be an excuse for sin. That's the example we get from Jesus on the cross.
0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell from Back to the Bible Canada. We believe Bible teaching is critical to God's people. And your support is critical in making the daily Bible teaching program with Dr. Newfeld available on this station. But we know there are times when you may miss the radio program. So we wanna remind you of all the opportunities available for free for your use and convenience at backtothebiblecanada.ca. You can search through a library of messages and series both audio and video with Dr. John. But you can also learn how to subscribe for our ministry podcasts, YouTube channels, mobile applications, and print resources. Our mission is to serve you so that the Bible teaching you can trust is accessible to as many people in as many ways as possible. For more information, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
1: Peter gives us several examples of Christ's sinlessness while he was suffering on the cross. Peter starts by saying that when Jesus was reviled, He didn't revile in return. I mean, revile, that's an older word. It means to be insulted and to suffer from the abusive speech of others. And when we study the trial and crucifixion of Jesus, we find a great deal of abusive language directed at him. You know, one example was when Jesus was before Caiaphas and the ruling council. And they said, you're not a prophet at all. And then they blindfolded him and smacked him in the mouth. And with laughter, they said, hey, Messiah, prophesy which one of us actually hit you. And what does Jesus do? Matthew 27, verse 63 says, he remains silent. Look, he knew who struck him, and he could have reminded them that they were gonna stand before the judgment of God, and he does none of that, he's just silent. He refuses to trade in abusive language. And Peter goes further, he says, when he suffered, he did not threaten. Now, many of you have heard people say, I mean, you're gonna get yours, now that's a threat or even the threat, you better watch your back. Well, how about revenge is a dish best served cold. And that's an interesting threat. It means I'm going to remember what you did. And I've got a long memory. And when you aren't looking, because it's been such a long time since you've wronged me, you know, when this deed has gone cold, that's when I'm going to return what you've done like thunder. And people act like that way all the time. Well, Jesus didn't. And if you want to follow an example as to what to do when you're being reviled and threatened, well, Peter says, follow in Jesus' steps. Act just like he did while he was on the cross. Now then, there's one line that we must not pass up here. It's the end of verse 23. I hope you see it. It says that Jesus continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly, and that's the key. Paul speaks about that in Romans 12, verse 19, where he says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That is, entrust your soul to trust God, knowing that in due time there's going to be justice. And with that knowledge, you can refrain from wrath. That's exactly what Jesus did. And when Peter says that we're to follow in Jesus' steps, that's what he has in mind. Persecuted Christians, abused Christians... Christians who are being threatened need to be known for the same kind of an attitude that Jesus had. Trust in the Father. Believe that He will write the scale in due time, in His schedule. In the meantime, it's right to remain quiet under suffering rather than to holler and threaten. And so, for to follow in Jesus' steps, we're going to have to follow His example of dignified suffering from the cross. That's the Christian lifestyle. Now, let's move to the second point in the passage, and it's this. We need to be done with the attraction that we once had towards sin. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Now, the first part of the verse should be very familiar to us. He bore our sins on the tree. That's the penal substitutionary atonement. Jesus, who knew no sin, took up upon himself our sin, paid for them so that we might be forgiven and set free from the condemnation that awaits us. He's our sin bearer. He's our sin substitute. Very good. But notice right after telling us that, that Jesus bore our sins comes the word that, or we might translate it so that, or even in order that there might be an outcome. You see, Jesus bore our sins, not just that we might be forgiven. Yep, that is one of the outcomes of the cross and the most important one. But here's another, that we might die to sin. Now, when you think about that, I mean, you might think about the words that were said at your baptism. You were buried with Christ at baptism so that even as Christ was raised from the dead, you were raised from your baptismal waters so that you might live a new life. Indeed, the first part of Romans chapter 6 That is there. After telling us the meaning of baptism, Paul says, here I'm quoting from verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. That is, the attraction of the flesh to sin might be ended. Then verse 11, Paul goes on to say that we should reckon ourselves as dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then, not yet being done with the topic, Paul goes on to state that we're to present ourselves to God As those who have been brought from the death of sin to the life of Christ. Sin, he says, will no longer have dominion over you. And that's how Peter speaks as well. Christ died so that you would do two things. The first, die to sin. I remember some years ago having a conversation with a godly and mature believer. He told me that years ago he had come to Christ as an adult, and prior to his conversion he said he had participated in a number of sins. And then he went on to say that what he then thought of as something that he loved is now something he finds extremely distasteful. Well, so far, so good. Everything he was saying was good and true. But then he said that on occasion he talked to people who came from a Christian family who were raised under the instruction of Scripture and, and how they hadn't participated in the same gross immorality that was a part of his former life. He said, you know, some of those Christians... They're attracted to the sins that they've never done. And perhaps he said, that's the problem. They've never done those sins, so they don't know how empty and vile they are. Now, I was surprised to hear him say that. This was a wonderful brother, but he was dead wrong in this. You don't have to come to Christ out of gross immorality to hate sin. Jesus never sinned, yet he hated sin. You see, you can come to Christ when you're five years old or when you're 55 years old. And in both cases if you've really tasted the benefits of the cross, you'll want to die to all known sin in your life. Not only does Christ give you forgiveness, he gives you death. He gives you death to the life of sin. And then not being done yet, Peter goes on to say, not only that we would die to sin, but that we would live to righteousness. And the Christian life is so much more than simply saying no to what's ungodly. You see, if that's all it were. You know, we would wear a permanent frown on our faces. We'd be killjoys, finding something wrong with everything. But here's a very large secret. The Christian life is about finding something right and pleasurable and extremely attractive about righteousness. It's about rejoicing in good, in showing mercy, in seeking to do acts of grace to others seeing God glorified, worshiping our creator. Psalm 27 verse 4 says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. You see what David's saying? I find pleasure in God. I find him as source of my satisfaction. The knowledge of God not only puts a smile on my face and a song in my heart, it's the passion of my life. It's what I want more than anything else. And according to peter that's why christ died yeah of course he bore your sin on his body on the tree and yes of course you were healed by his wounds but isn't it also true that he saved you from the life of sin and delivered you into the beauty of the life of righteousness all right let's review we're to follow jesus steps into suffering knowing that he died for us to have us live for righteousness especially when we're suffering now the last point of the text Not only are we to follow Jesus' steps, but we need to embrace Jesus as our shepherd. So I'll say this about shepherds and sheep. You know, sheep wander off, and they're easily ravaged by wild animals. They're stolen by thieves. They're unable to ward off predators and seem to be unmindful of the dangers they face. So let me make this personal. When we, the sheep, are converted to Christ, we get Christ, who functions for us in two ways. He's our shepherd. The job of shepherd is to lead the sheep. And the job of the sheep is to follow the shepherd simply go where the shepherd goes he'll be with us the second function jesus has is these the overseer or the bishop or the one who exercises supervision over us that is our overseer will tell us what we're to do now people want to get around this i'm suffering right now and it's hard to follow jesus example in my sufferings they might say well says peter don't you know who jesus is He's your shepherd and overseer. Walk in his steps. Go where he goes. Do what he tells you to do. He'll be with you. And the point is simple. To suffering Christians who might want to take matters into their own hands, who might feel that they should rebel against the hard path of suffering that Jesus calls his followers to take, Jesus commends us. Act like him. Understand what he has called us to do and to be, and entrust your soul to your shepherd and your overseer. So let these thoughts pervade your soul, not if you suffer, but when you suffer. And just like your suffering Savior, so you will, as his follower, also suffer. And like your suffering Savior, walk in his steps, be just like him,
0: and then watch with delight what God does in you. Dr. John, thanks for your message today. Here's a question that probably a lot of us are thinking, but should every christian expect to suffer for following jesus
1: yeah that's such a good question now there are a number of places in the bible where we're told that philippians 129 for has been granted to you on behalf of christ not only to believe in him but also to suffer for his sake so that's what's been granted to us by god so i do think that at some level i mean it's not always going to be the same kind of suffering Um, But I do believe that uh, just simply, I mean, Jesus at times speaks about being excluded by the world, and there will be times when you're being excluded from certain things simply because of your stance for Christ. There'll be a number of other things as well. So if you're not trying to fit into the world, but trying to fit rather into what Christ wants you to do, you'll be at odds with the world on numerous occasions, and you may, not only may, but you will suffer the backlash of that. So however it looks, the Bible promises us it will happen.
0: Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series Under Pressure, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. In Deuteronomy eleven nineteen we find instruction on our commitment to the teaching of the Bible. We are to teach His Word to our children, wherever we are at any time of day. And that's the significance of our 1119 Fellowship monthly partner program. So if you choose to join this monthly program, you're partnering with us to ensure that Bible teaching is being taught faithfully and abundantly. One monthly partner said, if your heart is to see Christians grow in maturity in their walk with the Lord, and to see lives transformed and turned towards Jesus, I would encourage you to support the ministry of Back to the Bible Canada through their 1119 Fellowship Program. To join or for more information, or to offer a single gift towards our dollar-for-dollar fiscal year-end match campaign, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.